Welcome to How to Scale, the podcast by Frog Capital focused on helping software companies to successfully scale up. For more than 10 years, we have developed a solid understanding of the common challenges that scale-up companies face. With our group of operating partners, who have learned from years of experience, we have created the Scale-Up methodology, which brings together insights and tools to help improve companies' probability of reaching sustainable profitability. Each podcast looks at a different challenge that all companies will face on their way to scale. My name is Jens Düring. I'm one of the senior partners at Frog Capital, the investor focused on purpose-driven European software companies in the scale-up phase. Over the last 20 years, my own personal journey has led me to work in this space, challenging the status quo to identify better ways to tackle problems. To make sure you don't miss any future episodes, sign up for the podcast at frogcapital.com slash podcast. In today's episode, I'm speaking to Frog operating partner and team psychologist John Sutherland with my fellow senior partner Mike Reed about the role of the chairperson. John helps the companies in our portfolio with team development and organizational strategy and recently has been working with Mike and our wider network on a framework for chairpersons of software companies at the scale-up stage. In our conversation, we will examine five key elements for a chair to focus on. First, what is the strategic time horizon? And second, are you concentrating on the team or on the shareholders? Third, do you put more weight on governance or mentoring? And fourth, are you adaptive or do you follow a fixed process? And finally, from a developmental point of view, are you focused on the team or the board? Mike, John, thanks for joining us today. Um, but before we start going into the detail of the framework, perhaps Mike, you can give us a bit of background on what drove us to actually create the framework and how we got to do it. Yeah, great to be here, Jens. Um, Chairing businesses uh, at the scale-up phase is really important, um, giving an objectivity around where the business is going. Uh, so we've seen some really excellent chairing in our time. Uh, we've also seen some chairing that maybe needs some support. And also, of course, we've seen some businesses that don't have chairs. And that in itself is a very interesting uh, um, reflection to have in terms of what you're missing. Absolutely. And when we generated this, this framework, can you perhaps, John, as you've got to do this, tell us a bit about how we went about it, uh, who we talked to about, about and how we set it on five rather than ten uh, topics? So this is a piece of field research involving chair people who work with Frog. I had the opportunity to sit down with eight chair people that we're familiar with and know well and discuss with them and Mike what we all thought were some of the important elements. And, of course, with eight people, you're going to get different perspectives, which is very helpful. And so for that collaborative process of inquiry, it seemed like there were five factors that covered most of the data without getting too specific. And so we've come up with this framework between us based on that dialogue with wheelchair people in the real world of work for Frog. Fantastic. Thank you, John. And Mike, perhaps you can give us an overview of what these five balances or criteria are that we identified as a good framework mm -hmm. to think about the right chairperson. Yeah, I think the, the overview really is around self-reflection because all of them are excellent people, uh, very experienced people, um, experienced not only as CEOs, uh, as executives, but also in, in chairing. Uh, so the intention of this framework is, is uh, around, okay, you're, you're in the job, 
self-reflecting and each of the key arenas. Um, good example is the style, because uh, as we discovered through the process, uh, at the beginning of the process, quite a lot of them describe their style as adaptive. Um, I don't really have a framework. I don't really have a playbook. You know, I, I kind of sense it. And then towards the end, when we rounded back to them with, with the draft framework, they actually came to the view that they did have a personal framework. They just haven't articulated it um, uh, to themselves particularly. Uh, and so in the in the uh, the paper that we've done, I think what I really like is there's some questions to ask yourself. Um, so for example, in the kind of adaptive or in, are you an adaptive style or are you an intentional style, you know, question around, well, how, how would your CEO describe your chairing style and your style of chairing the board meeting? Um, now that's just a really useful self-reflection as you get, as you go on uh, in any stage of the business. Fantastic. And just already mentioned the first of these framework topics to us. Style. John, when you talk about that, how different have these days the 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 chair people you talk to be? Well, very different. And all chair people tend to have a home base, a home style that they operate from. And so, for example, picking up on the adaptive or intentional style that Mike's just been talking about. Some chair people describe how they have a flexibility. They find themselves operating differently with each team they work with. And you can see immediately that there's a value to that. But there's another value about having a very clear framework and setting some intentional uh, focus around how you want a business to grow. And I think the other reflection on the five sets that are in the model is that they are all both and sets. Mm -hmm. There's nowhere where we're suggesting that a chairperson just does one of these qualities. The question we're asking them to reflect on is what's the right balance between both of these elements? Mm -hmm. How do I make sure that I haven't just done what I normally do? I've actually thought about what this particular enterprise needs whilst it's scaling up. And I think one of these points is actually an obvious one where we can see that it's actually dynamic. So we talk about a strategic time horizon that can, well, it changes as you go along in time, I guess. Indeed. And so it's familiar fare, isn't it, when you think about scaling up to have a reasonably short-term time focus, especially if you're trying to make sure that you hit the quarter's numbers, uh, because we all know happens when you begin to fall behind that. But of course, the other question to relate to that one is, well, are you there missing out something that might become very important for the longer term, just because it has a longer term scale to it? And so the balance of thinking about how we're making sure we're getting some real revenue growth, whilst also thinking about the long-term potential of the enterprise, is one of the questions that we're asking our chair people to reflect on. Mike, in your experience, have you seen this being a smooth process when you talk about the time horizon with your chair people, or is there some friction or some misalignment? Well, interestingly, it's sort of a subconscious thing. So there's rarely any debate around what's my time horizon mm -hmm. as a chair in piece, and that's what we're bringing out to say, let's move it from subconscious to a bit more conscious. Um, but absolutely, and I think the one of our questions to ask yourself is around um, if your time horizon is subconsciously too short, you're not considering serious team change mm -hmm. um, because you're thinking, well, okay, we don't have time to do that, which you may not have time to do that, but ultimately you need to also be reflecting on the longer term. If I did have the cash runway to do X, Y, Z in a two to three, four year horizon, would I make team change? 
Um, How would I make team change? And what are the reasons I'm not making team change? Um, And that in itself is a really useful exercise. I think the subconscious thing, pick up on what you just said, Mark, is is fundamentally important to the framework. And another example of that is the one that relates to the stakeholder focus. And so many of the chair people we spoke to talked about earning the right to work with the team. Almost like a right to passage of being a chairperson. Do I spend enough time to build rapport with this management team so that I can have some impact with them? The balancing question for us, of course, is to think about building the rapport and time with the shareholders, including the investors, but other people as well. And a moment's reflection makes you realise, of course, you need to do both. But it can be an unconscious bias for chair people to spend significantly more time with the team than they do spending time outside of board meetings with, with shareholders, including us. And I think this one is a really relevant point for yeah. this part of the economic cycle. Um, again, one of our questions to yourself is, you know, are you giving your larger shareholders enough time and space to be open with their perspectives on the business? Do you as chair understand what's going on behind the scenes in each of your investors, what's the politics, what's the process, what are they resourcing, how are they prioritising further capital for for their portfolio. Um, And it's your duty on behalf of the team and the other stakeholders to really understand that. Fantastic. And that's a good example, I think, of the both end bit of the framework and the opposing ends of a balance here. But in your experience, it's a question for both of you, perhaps starting with Mike, where is the balance between spending time with the shareholders and stakeholders, perhaps, rather spending time with the team? So I think the key is, um, a number one, which is why we're saying it's 60-40 towards the management team, is building that trust with the team. Yeah. 100%, the chair and the relationship with the, the CEO, and particularly in scale-ups, the CFO, has to be a really open, uh, trusting relationship, not just because of um, the balance we've talked about here, but also... Uh, with the kind of governance mentoring balance we're talking about as well to get the right governance level as well and not be over-governancing. Um, so without that trust, um, there there is no point talking about the shareholder in, in, uh, um, uh, relationship. So that's a number one. But once and on the assumption that's in place, then the CEO and CFO will be relying on you as a chair to do that, spend that extra piece outside the boardroom to understand uh, what's going on behind the scenes. Yeah, that's a common experience I think we are seeing. Um, but I guess, John, perhaps from your point of view as well, these, this can change, this, this focus, because I would presume that probably the chairperson spends a bit more time initially with the team, and hence the balance is not a static one. Yes, it's both a, a reflective and a prospective framework. And so you can think back, where has most of my time been yeah. spent? And then you can think forward and think about the upcoming challenges for the enterprise and think, well, now where does it need to be? And what's the wider context in terms of the investment cycle? So I think things do change over time. And the trick is to make sure that we go from habitual to intentional. Exactly. So to make it to reflect and see where should I spend my time going forward and does it need to be different to where it has been in the past? One area we haven't covered so much is the developmental strategy. Yes. Um, which, again, is very much linked to, to what we've just been talking around um, uh, the view of um, investors are around the the board, yeah. um, not only the the how the board works and how effective it is, but also the constituents of that board, yeah. which can, in a scale up, be um, pretty consistent. I.e., 
probably an independent exec chairman who has um, chairperson who has uh, executive experience and then a lot of investors. Um, that's your typical profile. Uh, and then if you throw in to, as we discovered, very difficult to get honest feedback. Yeah. People don't really, if you, a chairperson goes around and says, well, what, how do you think my chairing is? They won't get honest feedback. Um, so they then have to reflect in terms of how they go about gaining that sort of feedback. And particularly when it comes around to a funding cycle and where, where shareholders are, um, getting to that view of how do you feel about the board? How should the board be uh, changing over time as well as the management team is a really critical another uh, balance. Building on what you just said, Mike, one of my repeat experiences over my experience has been that at the point where you think, right, we've got the management team where we need it to be, it's really far enough, it's delivering. I usually find myself asking the next question, which is, aha, so what about the board then? Yeah. And so back to your point, Jens, yeah, that these things change over time. Yeah. They tend to go in that sequence. But the trick is to make sure that you do ask both questions. Exactly. Exactly. So, John, when you think about the development of the team or the board, what are some key elements uh, a board uh, or a chairperson should look for? They include the need to have some difference around the table, so diversity. Are we all the same people? Are we all investment directors? Are we all people who have run a business and now we're working at the non-exec level? Where is the difference? Because as we've said before, teamwork is a different engine and diversity is the fuel. And that applies equally to the team development as it does to the board development. So when we think about diversity, of course, there's a very wide range of possible topics to think about diversity, gender, age, background, from the industry, from the sector. They're all things to consider. And they're not straightforward things to consider because the pool of people you might bring onto a board has some, some difficulty in terms of access to. But they are useful things to bear in mind when you are considering diversity. And the other question is, based on the diversity you do have, are you currently getting the full benefit from that? Yeah, and I think uh, so. It's a key piece. The the challenge with it is, of course, um, the chair can't change everything very very quickly. Yeah, um, you can't just go around um, firing uh, investor directors. Um, so back to what the papers trying to do on that self reflection piece is: okay, so you are you may have the board you have, but that doesn't mean you can start. You can't start inserting some self reflection in the board to yeah. say, right, we are um, a bit groupthink. We are all coming from a similar uh, background, etc. So let's play different roles when we're starting to debate certain strategic subjects, um, decisions on teams, and actually kind of, as a chair, chair the meetings in a way that you're drawing out different views from people who would normally just be thinking their own their own perceptions. Yeah, it's a very good point, because this in particular needs intentionality, because there are cultural differences across the geography. Um, you have countries like the UK or the Nordics where there is actually a wide pool of experienced female leaders available and in other jurisdictions, um, particularly in Germany, you have to be very intentional of finding that piece of diversity. Another point that we have here is, is um, to be intentional and conscious of your style. And you as a team psychologist, John, uh, have certainly seen different styles. So where have you seen the balance to be struck? And is it something, again, that is moving along and flexible? So people tend to have a template of how they operate in situations and they'll have a preference. And the, the style is about the intentionality or the adaptiveness that you take to your chairing role. And so 
some chair people arrive with a model of the world. So we in Frog, for example, have our scale-up methodology. And so we have a very clear model of how we think scale-up operates. And it, it seems to prove to be accurate. And the more we do it, the more refined it gets. Mm -hmm. And it's very useful, especially when you are a chairperson, to be able to explain to the team you're working with what your thoughts are about how a business is going to grow, what the priorities are. And then the other polarity is to make sure that you don't simply dominate a conversation with your own particular framework, but you are responsive to the people that you're working with and to the particular needs they have. Because maybe in this particular organization, there's a need to sort out the best route to market or the best way to think about the technology roadmap. And so there's a need to do both of those and to make sure that the way that you operate and offer is both clear and coherent and in addition, it's adaptive. I think one thing I've learned from you and our listeners might see there's a theme here is to be intentional about and explicit. So it's actually not surprising to any side on how you're interacting. Yes, it's something we require from our leaders, isn't it, and management teams to have intentionality. In fact, the, the shortest answer to what is leadership is that it's about intentionality. And of course, that also applies to our chair people as well, that they also demonstrate that, that intentionality. And as Mike said earlier, most chair people have themselves been leaders at some point in their own history. And so they sometimes take the map from being a CEO into being a chairperson. And occasionally that map has to change as they find their way into a bit more experience with being the chair. Fantastic. And moving this on slightly, if you're now the management team and the existing board looking for a chairperson, you've used this fantastic template that we are putting out here for everybody to, to use and peruse, and things go wrong nonetheless. What are early indicators that you might not be on the right track? Perhaps Mike, you can start with that. I think the, I guess what comes to mind is just around communication. Um, and the, because it can and does get very pressurized. Um, and back, I guess, to the theme of, theme of the podcast around intentionality is getting clarity of communication, uh, straightforward discussion, um, honest views. So um, around, um, uh, and in, in, the, in the paper, we're talking around, you know, does your CEO know what you would be doing if you were the CEO? Um, that's just to test out lots of, um, you know, the clarity of communication. Does, does the CEO actually understand what, uh, the difference between your views on how to run the businesses and his or hers, um, just to point out the areas of debate and contention, and particularly in periods of underperformance, that's arguably more important to do that yeah. to really test out that um, that both you and the CEO, the you and the CEO, are aligned in whatever the intentional plan is. So when it's communicated to the stakeholder group, then you 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 have that sort of reinforcement of being having hammered it out together and being uh, unified in your, your view of the next stage. I think there are two warning signs. One is that life has become rather cozy and comfortable. Yeah. And what we've talked a little bit less about, which is the approach, is the difference between governance and mentoring. This yeah. is a lovely example. And so sometimes what happens is that a team settles into a mentoring style, yeah. almost like a fireside chat with their chairperson. And from time to time, there has to be a corrective governance input, which is this is actually how we need to report this. Yeah. So these are important factors for us. So if there's a level of comfort and coziness and there's a lack of challenge, then alarm bells should ring. 
the other caution sign is that there's constant tension and conflict. Yeah. Because that's an indication that there's a mismatch between what's been offered and what is felt to be required. Thank you for listening. We welcome all feedback, questions or topic suggestions for us to cover in future episodes. So please email howtoscale at frogcapital.com. And finally, to make sure you don't miss any future episodes, sign up for the podcast at frogcapital.com slash podcast. Proc invests in purpose-driven European software scale-ups, making a positive impact on society. We look for businesses who have reached product market fit and are generating over 3 million euros of annual recurring revenue, what we see as a characteristic of the scale-up phase. It's a stage where businesses are continuing the path of positive growth, purpose-driven route to sustainability and profitability. Our own purpose is to help scale the most exciting purpose-driven software companies in Europe. We do this with both Capital and our in-house team of operating partners who work closely with all the companies we invest in to overcome the inevitable challenges scale-ups face.